1: been won, and now our true work begins.
0: Welcome to the Elysium Project. In the Olympian tradition, Elysium is the
1: highest heaven
0: the human mind can conceive. Join Hercules on his latest and greatest quest, making the life we live and the earth we share a paradise for all. welcome to the Elysium Project. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and this is the fourth Wednesday of the month uh, in which we focus on vocation. Here we meet a lot of interesting people who are doing interesting things and uh, improving the world by pursuing their own life path. Uh, I'm greatly honored to announce that today's first guest, Hilary Vitter's PhD, is the founder of the Women's Divers Hall of Fame, and the past president of the Academy of Underwater Arts and Sciences. Greetings and welcome to our show, Hillary.
3: Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. I have to make a correction right away, though. I am a co-founder of the Women Divers Hall of Fame. I was the lead founder, and I'll explain that to you later on.
0: Okay, thank you. My apologies. Um, And you are an example of the wonderful people I meet in my community who become even more amazing, the better I get to know them.
1: (laughs) And uh, this is an
0: entire uh, dimension uh, that is noteworthy and awesome. So how did the sea first call to you, Hillary?
3: Well, it's actually a very amusing story. And it's amusing because people that know me and know my career to see that I'm a very, very serious, dedicated, very hardcore diver and I do some very deep dangerous type of diving Um, I've done training for professional rescue teams in the Hudson River I go to shipwrecks that are 200 feet in depth here in the North Atlantic and yet I started scuba diving in the most girly girl of ways possible, (laughs) I literally followed my husband and it happened um, 41 years ago. I was—we were on my honeymoon, myself and my husband Richard, and we were in Maui. And he looked around. and He said, "It's so beautiful. The water's so clear and warm. I think I'm going to take the scuba lesson. Why don't you go shopping?" And I said, "Hell no!" I said, "I'm going with you. I'm going to do <laughs> this too." And my Richard, who is not macho at all, turned to me. He said, "Honey," he said, "women don't scuba dive." And I turned right back and said, well, honey, this one is going to, so watch it. Oh, hey. and And um, we took a little, you know, orientation in the swimming pool with an instructor. And as expected, women were not welcome in the sport, and the equipment was not sized for women. It was big, black, rubber wetsuit, way too big, a mesh that was so huge it kept flooding with water, but, you know, I didn't care. I was intrepid and I was determined to do this. We got into the ocean, and I have to tell you, it was like your program. It was spiritual. Something just fired off in my brain, and I said, Hillary, you're home. And my heart just melted into the ocean, and honestly, it's never really left. And wow. I don't think it ever will. That, that is very I just profound. Knew, I just knew this is where I belonged, and this was going to be my life's work. Now, so you
0: answered that call, and you answered it definitively, and you listed some of the things uh, that uh, you've done. Can you share a little bit more uh, of that journey uh, in detail? Because you've done amazing things along the way.
3: Oh, well, it was a very rocky path being that it was not, as I said, a woman's world. And really, there was a reason for that. When you think about it, scuba diving comes from the military. It was the Navy SEALs, you know, these big, hulking heroes that were the first divers. And even when the aqualung was introduced and the scuba became recreational, it was still a man's world. And women were not invited to the party. And so Mm. I... Uh, worked very hard to try to change that environment. And um, it had, uh, it. I took many different paths. To start with, right from Maui, the minute we came back to our hotel room, I, I got on the phone, I called New Jersey long distance, and I got information and found this, a scuba school nearest to where we lived. And I signed us up on the phone for scuba course. And, of course, my husband thought that was kind of bizarre. And I... Uh-huh first night i showed up and here were these as expected there were 13 big strapping strong men and poor little me who weighed oh i think less than the equipment and i <laughs> said to myself well if you to do it you better do it right and so i started going to a gym and and you know doing weights and building up muscle and strength i took i was always a good swimmer But I started taking competitive swim classes with a triathlon instructor. And they really, you know, mentally and physically threw myself into the world of diving. So I did a number of different things. I did underwater photography. I started to write for just about all of the dive magazines. I had a regular column in three of them. I started writing um, training manuals for ecotourism. Um, I wrote the first manual for underwater cleanups, and I will say a great experience took place in Central Park. I organized an event called Divers for a Cleanup Planet. I commandeer 300 divers, literally from around the world, to come to Central Park to do an underwater cleanup. And wow. nobody had ever put their head in the water in Central Park Lake for 105 years. We didn't know what we were going to find. It took a year of preparation and, you know, safety um permits or whatever. And it was we had hundreds of people watching. It was on the front page of the New York Times and mm-hmm. it was just astounding. Um this was wow. one of my first foray's into the field of conservation. I got so involved I didn't, I didn't with the found. marine science aspect that I went back to NYU
4: where mm-hmm. I had gotten
3: my Ph.D. in comparative literature, I started taking postgraduate courses in environmental science, and I actually was asked to stay on as an adjunct professor, and I taught a course in water conservation. So I did all of that, and um, uh-huh. I worked for one of the main diving training agencies. Now we I developed the first environmental program for the diving industry, and... Um, you name it, and I pretty much did it. <laughs> and it sounds it's just like a wow. Yeah, it's been amazing. And, of course, the diving itself, has it's just been monumental. It's almost something you can't describe.
0: Now, you are a pioneer um, and uh, a, a woman breaking into a man's uh, profession, and you went on to – co-found the Women Divers Hall of Fame. So I imagine other women followed your example and uh, entered the field.
3: Well, it's very interesting. Um, You know, I was lecturing around the world. I had done a lot of studying on um, uh, underwater um, uh, medicine, uh, diving medicine and hyperbaric medicine. I volunteered at the hyperbaric chamber up at City Island. That was the Navy chamber treating injured divers. I would go to talk at places like the Department of Defense to talk about the physiology of women divers, and I'd be surrounded <laughs> literally by stars and bars. It was old Air Force flight surgeons and diving officers, and there was Hillary surrounded by all men. And they, you know, they look at me like, "Is she here to serve coffee or what?" <laughs> And when I joined the Explorers Club, everybody thought my husband was the new member. There were, mm-hmm. I believe, there, 1% of the members were, with, were women, and very few of them were women divers. And I said, You know, I know there are exceptional women divers out there. We just have to find them. And I did meet some extraordinary women, like Dr. Jeannie Clark, the world's expert on sharks. I met Dr. Sylvia uh-huh. Earle she was the chief scientist in Washington DC under George Bush George W Bush i met Valerie Taylor in Australia who designed the chainmail that's worn to dive with sharks and then i met well, divers that had been at, at, at scientific stations in antarctica under the ice cave divers and they said you know we just have never put them together and so that they can network i know they're out there And coincidentally, a few years later, actually, it was towards the millennium, uh, Mm in 1999, I was approached by the director of an expo called Beneath the Sea. I had been a speaker at their show for many, many years. And the director said to me, you know, we're coming to the millennium. I thought it would be a neat idea. Let's do a program about women divers. And he left it at that. And what I did was I got together with a few other women who were also very experienced, very knowledgeable. We put our heads together and we said, okay, we are going to find every fabulous female diver in the world. We're going to bring them to this show. We're going to present an award. We're going to put on all kinds of um, you know expeditions and workshops. And the word was out. We advertised. We did press releases. We did phone calls, practically door-to-door. And believe it or not, we located seventy two amazing women divers, including three divers they were the they, they were a lot of them were um um the the they had won all kinds of championships but nobody knew but the military divers I had done some training for the uh, new york city uh dive scuba team. Um and I when flight eight hundred crashed into the Atlantic Ocean near the Mauritius, I was very fortunate that they invited me to come out to kind of consult. They were the lead investigative team. well, while I was there, I was watching the Navy divers in this search and recovery uh, operation, and I saw the hard hat divers, the salvage divers this the field team, and guess what? Who was in charge of all these guys was a beautiful young woman. She was a commander. Awesome. No nonsense. I mean, she was that girly girl. She meant business. I said, this is amazing. And we were talking, and the women in the military had never really been given a lot of recognition. And so for this first year, we had a number of... Um, of these women divers, and I, I'm very proud to say that now there are women who um, are rear admirals. You never would have had that years ago. They wouldn't even let them in the water in the 1970s. It, it was really something. And so we brought these women together. We had 9 excuse me, 72 we identified and notified. Forty-six of them came, and I mean they came from Australia, from Africa, from Europe, everywhere. And we, I designed a gold pin that was a model of a scuba diver holding a torch, you know, a woman diver. Mm-hmm. And we gave out these beautiful pins and certificates. And it was like an enormous success. It, it had never been done. And you know it was interesting because even then, when they saw these amazing women divers, some of the macho, old, the old school macho divers, the men say, "Oh well, it's a bunch of girls just." you know, congratulating themselves, and they were sort of laughing. Well, the following year, we incorporated into Women Divers Hall of Fame, and we started a scholarship program, and we started giving out lots and lots and lots of money, and guess what? When they saw the dollar signs, they stopped laughing, and we have become the premier organization in the industry for scholarships and training grants. In the 20 years we've been, uh, since we've been um, operating, we've given over a million dollars, and every year, this year alone, we're giving something like 46 scholarships and training grants, and like close to $50,000 worth. And it, for people, and men and women, not just for women, mm-hmm. we let the we let the, some of those macho guys come in. <laughs> And um anyone that really wants to further their career in different types of it could be underwater photography, it could be uh, uh science, it could be technology, diving medicine, just like our members. And our and, and the members also do a lot of mentoring to young up and coming um women. I myself started our first scholarship, the Hillary Divers P Hillary Bitters PhD scholarship in marine conservation. For women that were in graduate school or doing field work in that field, and because I felt that science was another field where, when it came to grant money, women mm-hmm. were shuffled to the back of the deck, and I wanted to really—and now we have about five scholarships just for uh, conservation—so I'm really excited about that. And it's that, become a, just a fabulous organization. You're, and you're a pioneer
0: and uh, very heroic, and you're a trailblazer. I'm even more... Well, you know what they say about the pioneers. pioneers. <laughs> you know
3: who the parano- You can always tell who the pioneers are, because they're the ones with the arrows in their back. <laughs> <laughs> very, very <laughs> I've, very I've seen arrows. Believe me, I've seen arrows. And I'm so pleased to be able to pave the way so that women, young, well, young women nowadays, don't have any... You know, they're still... Work to be done in the professional glass mm-hmm. ceiling, but nothing like the early days of diving.
0: Now, I understand that the Women Divers Hall of Fame is being honored uh, at the yes, BTS we, Expo in March. Can you tell us a little bit more yes, about that? Yes,
3: yes, that's the uh, Beneath the Sea Expo that I was when we first debuted, and we meet every year. We have our scholarship breakfast and our awards presentation. The show decided to name the organization and the founders as the Legend of the Sea, which is their highest award. Wow. I thought you had to be dead to be a legend. No, <laughs> but no obviously no. not. <laughs> and it's medicine. one of the biggest, most prestigious awards in the entire dining industry. So they wow. will be coming in droves. And I hope everybody that's listening tonight is going to come. It's a in the Middlelands Expo Center and it's called Beneath the Sea it's a three day um, event with two black tie galas and I can't wait oh, it's a great way to reunite with all the sea sisters
0: I, if you send me information on it in the link I'll be glad to advertise it uh, sure. on uh, my social media and let people know about it because that, that, it sounds incredibly awesome
3: oh it is <laughs>
0: And you've written a book. Um, you're a writer, so you and you said that you had uh, th- three um, um, uh, platforms in uh, diving magazines. But you also wrote a book, Marine Conservation for the 21st Century, and that yeah. is something that is yeah. very, very important. Uh, our, our leading scientists have told us that we need to change our ways in the next dozen years. Oh,
3: well. I was with a group of scientists in the 1970s that was saying we needed to change our ways. And we, you know, when the, the term global warming was, was coined, and people said, oh, that's voodoo science, that's nonsense, you don't know what you're talking about. I was actually on a committee that was put together by Al Gore, even in the early 1990s, which was fairly recently, for global warming. And still, nobody really fully understood the impact. And the science was not as clear as it is now. Now you just have to look around and you see the erratic weather patterns and um, the the melting of the ice caps. You can't deny it now. But many uh,
0: still do. Many still deny it. And and that's a sad uh, thing. Um, I've decided, uh, you know, with whatever years I have uh, remaining on this uh, planet, uh, to, to devote a lot of my time to that issue because it, it seems the most pressing. If we don't have a planet, then all our other plans are kind of moot.
2: So uh, you, know don't long 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 long. Long. you know
3: what people well, don't even understand. You know why we know the Earth is called the water planet? Do you know why? Mm-hmm. Well, because the Apollo astronauts in the late 1960s, when they were going to outer space, they looked back and saw the Earth, and they saw that there was so much water. Three-quarters of our planet is water, and water is unfortunately becoming a very, very scarce commodity, clean, usable water. And for centuries, people did not appreciate how important it was. The the ocean was the dumping ground, and people felt that they could abuse, they could um, overfish, they could take in or throw in or take out whatever they wanted with impunity. That there was always going to be plenty of wilderness left, and that we had the innate privilege to take whatever we wanted. While now people are starting to sit up and take notice, we certainly cannot do that. Water is finite, and... um, It's so valuable, and there are so many human um, impacts on the marine environment. Just the burgeoning population, just the the amount of footprints literally on the planet, and the industry, the pollution, particularly plastic debris, industrial Mm -hmm. waste like oil, the greenhouse gases, which everyone now understands, we're overfishing, there's agricultural runoff and sewage. There were places in the world where they still dump raw sewage, right, in the ocean. And yes. this causes those massive algae blooms that just block the um, sunlight away from the corals so they can't um, produce food. They blocks the sunlight. Uh, there's a lot of coastal development, habitat destruction, and more than, I would say, at this point now, more than half the coral reefs in the world are either dying or dead, and the, even the Great Barrier Reef from Australia. And there is garbage everywhere. I have my friends that work at the McMurdo Station in Antarctica, or in Antarctica and they sent me back pictures of oil cans and Coke cans and plastic bags. Antarctica, Antarctica? That's, the run, that's the last frontier, and it's yes. not good shape. That we've really pretty much um, impacted the entire planet, and so my book was written in 1995, believe it or not. And a lot of the information is still very, very valid. The numbers have jumped, of course. You know the uh-huh. percentages of all of these um, stressors, but um, it was a, I felt a call to action for anybody that uses the marine environment. And it was very well received. It was used as a textbook in um colleges and some high schools. And I was very proud of that.
0: Yes, it's uh I'm looking it up on Amazon even as we speak, see if I could uh find a copy.
3: I um, think it's out of look- print now and people have been encouraging me to write a you know, a second volume.
1: If I ever awesome. get
3: the time, it involves a lot of research, you know, a lot of yes. work. And, um, But there may be a second volume one day, a sequel. Now, again,
0: this is a whole show or a series of shows just on this topic alone, uh, and I'm going to add a question uh, to the list. What do you think the most productive thing uh, for people to be doing to try to reverse some of this damage?
3: Oh my God! There's so many things. Well, for one thing, you have to stop using plastic. It's one of the okay. worst things that you can. And and it's amazing how plastic finds its way into the ocean. Everything that makes it the household wonder: it's lightweight, it's durable, it's it's strong, it doesn't uh, degrade. All of those wonderful qualities are absolutely disastrous in the ocean because you can't get rid of it. It floats and it lasts and lasts and lasts. And marine, uh, all kinds of marine creatures—not just fish, birds—they come and they 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 think it's food and they choke on it. Uh, sea birds will feed plastic pellets to their young, and that kills them. Turtles yes. get entangled in uh, you know pl- uh, plastic fishing lines, and so that would be the first thing. And of course, you know, cutting down on the um, the amount of uh, you know. Uh, uh, car uh, usage, if at all possible, um, you know, all of those. And I think you have to also be very aware of the companies that you do business with, the places you shop, the dry cleaners. They all should have some kind of certification that they are environment-friendly. And I think, that I think the manufacturers respond most when there's dollars to be, you know, had or not had. So um, I think we have to vote with our pocketbooks and with our conscience.
0: Yes, and, and again, thank you for that. And that is, that is a series of shows in and of itself, so you know, we will uh, oh, yeah. uh, go there as soon as we can. Um, as we're down to our last uh, five minutes, um, what was the most beautiful thing you've ever seen underwater?
3: Well, you're not going to believe it when I tell you I've seen many, many beautiful things. I think the most beautiful thing is sharks. I think they're sharks. They are astounding. Oh, my God. They are so such incredible misunderstood creatures they're so sleek and, and beautiful and the way they're the graceful the way they move through the water and I was doing uh, photography a lot and I used to try to photograph sharks particularly in Australia and their eyes are very sensitive you know when you flash the strobe they are they're gone so I'm telling my friends I'm chasing the sharks. I said, "Hey, wait, no, you're you're chasing them. I thought they're chasing you." <laughs> I said, "No, they they we're not on their diet. They're not looking to eat humans whatsoever." And uh, uh, I saw. I think that was the white tipped shark it has baby blue eyes. It reminded wow. me of Paul Newman. I saw that thing and I saw that gliding through the water. I said, "That has got to be the most beautiful thing ever." It was just, um, because you don't see that many of them. They're, they're being hunted to extinction. And,
0: and that's um, unfortunate. My yes, wife it told me is. a story that uh, she found, uh, um, you know, she, she likes researching things online. She was very excited by uh, uh, the segment that we're doing now. Um, and she told me that uh, sharks are now approaching people to remove the hooks and the lines that are stuck in them. And that uh, kind of oh. destroys the uh, monstrous image that we built up about sharks over the years. You know, well, the worst thing awesome is that in, in countries
3: like Japan, they 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 cut the fins off for shark fin food, oh. and they throw the fish they throw the shark back. The shark can't swim. The shark can't you know um, f- find food, and they they they'll just get to die. And they do this in massive amounts. It's just very, you know, it's so interesting. Even the most advanced, rugged divers that I taught, literally one of the first questions I get on the very first night of class is, "What do I do if I see a shark?" And you know what my answer is? Consider what? yourself very lucky, <laughs> because very well they said. are,
0: they are amazing
3: so, creatures.
0: So if sharks aren't the most dangerous thing in uh, the waters. What is the most dangerous no. thing in the world?
3: I think irresponsible people, particularly you know irresponsible divers. Um, I've gone to in in different respects. First of all, I've gone to different places around the world, and you go on a typical dive, and I'm just like sitting there for enjoyment, and the dive master has a big net bag, and he's pulling up shells and and breaking off pieces of coral and grabbing everything he can to put in this, you know, net bag. Uh, You know, he he wants to impress the um, the tourists and get a bigger tip Mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, it's absolutely. And then they're kicking up the bottom, and again, the sand will settle on the coral and block the sunlight. They are just irresponsible and um, the other kind of irresponsible diver that i think is very dangerous and uh, sometimes the most advanced experienced divers if they do things that or they think that they're invincible they'll go way too deep for too long they'll either run out of air or they will come up without doing enough decompression and be very badly injured and then you, or they, they, they stray away because they, they're looking for lobster. They just, you know, they really feel they're invincible. So you're putting your buddy at risk and the rescue team and everybody else. And to me, that is very, I've seen some horrific, horrific diving mm-hmm. accidents. Most no. of them are dive error. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, I really think that, um, you know, People should have very a great respect for the ocean. You know, it's like if if somebody comes into your house and they stomp all over and they knock over the furniture and they throw garbage all over, and um, you wouldn't be too happy. No. And or if they grab things and take it away with them. But when we we're, we're visitors in this amazing amazing world under sea. And we really have to, be, you know, be respectful. Uh, I always say it's like having a front row seat in the greatest theater in the world. And because divers do have this privilege, I think you developed an innate sense of respect and and stewardship. You realize that this might not be here forever if we're doing really, you know, damaging things. And uh, again, oh, no, that leads of us back to conservation.
0: And that—that that is the uh, major call of our age, and it is our responsibility as sentient beings to to heed that call and do something. Um, Absolutely. This is definitely going to be a to be uh, continued. Um, how okay. can people in the interim uh, find out more about you? For those following on Facebook, I put uh, links. Um, well.
3: You can go to the Women Divers Hall of Fame, and you'll learn about all of these astounding women. I'm certainly just one little piece of the the mosaic here. It would be WDHOF dot org, Women Divers Hall of dot org, and also it's a great place to learn about scholarships. If you want, you know, to get more involved in diving, there are uh, there are training uh, training grants and scholarships and you can if you really are interested in diving there are many dive shops in the area but my advice is don't cut corners don't ever cut corners don't take a weekend course in Bonaire and come back and think you're going to jump you know in the Atlantic Ocean doesn't work that way you really have to keep learning keep training and I did this for years and years I never stopped taking other people's courses and learning it's so I, I used to tell my students don't even think about got diving until you have your PET. And PET <laughs> is an acronym for preparation, equipment, and training. So that's my advice. If you're going to do it, do it right, and um, you'll have the time of your life.
0: Thank you for a wonderful half hour. Um, I thought you couldn't impress me more than I was already impressed, but I was wrong. You are incredibly awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and I'm very spiritual which is in the theme of your your show so yes you are so and if you're not I spiritual will, when you go underwater, water you become spiritual you'll
0: the realm of Poseidon um yes. and uh I will invite you back uh, very soon I know you're very busy but uh this was incredibly awesome thank you very much Hillary uh have oh, a wonderful day thank you day. So much.
3: thank you you too
0: okay Uh, We're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's Evolve and then we'll be back with Christine Chandler and we will learn how to be a roller derby queen. Wednesday of the month, and on the fourth Wednesday of the month, we explore the journeys of interesting people doing very interesting things, and um, I certainly know the next individual, Tina Chandler, is an interesting person because I've known her for years. Uh, welcome, Tina, and she's doing something incredibly awesome, uh, which is being a roller derby queen. How you doing, Tina? <laughs> Pretty good, Ergulies. <Eric. laughs> How are you? I'm doing phenomenally great. Now, how did that dream uh, first uh, enter your mind, and uh, how did you start following it once it got there?
5: Oh, my gosh. This has to go back to the 80s, Um, when it used to, or a little bit before then, it used to be televised, and every once in a while, you know, if you twist the rabbit ears on top, (laughs) you twist the top of the rabbit ears just right. You would get it in um, east Beach, um through Tampa, through and then through that through Philadelphia, and I would watch teams like uh, the LA T-Birds, Bronx Bombers, and at the time of of, of that was going on, I I had I'd been going through a lot of stuff. I was incredibly incredibly bullied in school, and you know these girls and that would skate. I mean, they would not take any prisoners. I mean, they take no names. They take that, they go out there, they trip up people. They do this today, that, that, and it just felt, it just appealed to me. And yeah, later good. on. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: no, 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 go ahead. No, it, it's bullying oh. is a very big uh, problem and uh, I'm glad that you found an empowering way to uh, um allow that to transform you to somebody much more powerful
5: right. Well, right well if you look at sports, what you see if it's not tennis or if it's not what? golf you- or or not until even recently it was basketball it not basketball uh-huh you don't see women really in sports. I mean, if you see like a good hard hitting sport, you know it's either hockey or it's uh football or rugby or soccer, anything like that, you don't see a lot of women teams or a lot of uh, women players. And, you know, growing up, I really didn't have that, And at least I felt. And when I stopped watching it, you know, it's still in your mind. I mean, and then um, back in 2006, this was just a couple months after I was married, I was a um, competitive figure skater at the time. And I developed a condition called uh chronic idiopathic peripheral neuropathy. Now try to say that five times fast. Okay, chronic idiopathic <laughs> peripheral neuropathy. It's basically I where have the nerves is are. Yes.
1: Isn't
5: that awful?
1: Well, <laughs>
0: in the beginning it's like wearing gloves and socks made of boiling water. It's it's really it takes a while to get used to and to <laughs> work with it. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, not even. I I really never gotten used to it. I mean, I, I deal with it. And you, you know what they tell you? Um, and I started having problems with jumps. My leg, my right leg, would collapse. It was mostly affecting my right leg and my right side. And I would collapse doing jump spins, trying to do crossovers, anything like that. And it literally took me out of competitive figure skating because they tell you at the at the doctor's office, there's really nothing they can do about it. There really isn't. There is nothing that really no, help there with the pain. Not. No. So just deal with it. And I was like, oh, no. So I gained, I was almost 200 pounds um, by the time, uh, let see, seven, just after my third son was born. We just happened to be at a parade down here in Florida. In Fort Myers, we have a parade every year to celebrate uh, Thomas Edison. And... Mm-hmm. um Edisonia, because uh, Fort Myers was Thomas Edison's winter home, and he was um, great friends with Henry Ford and Henry Firestone, the event common friends, we call them. And they had their winter homes down here, and he had a winter laboratory down here. And to celebrate that fact, we have a parade to celebrate the the light, um, to go along with electricity. And Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful brilliant um it's a parade that starts off with a junior parade with the kids and there's all sorts of events all over fort myers all week long and and saturday night there is a the grand parade of life and i've been a participant of that several times it's a lot of fun it's a three-mile parade so anyway uh-huh. um i'm sitting on the sideline that you're watching it and these ladies are skating on the road and i'm like oh my god what in the world? And this one, this one woman, she handed me a flyer and I looked down at it and it said, Fort Myers Derby girls, are you interested in roller derby? And I'm like, no way. No way. Like, oh my gosh, you know, is it really the same thing as it was? So went down there to um, watch a game and it literally changed my life. I mean, I'm watching these girls. It looks like a bunch of pushing and shoving. There's a lot of technique, actually, to the game. Uh-huh. And I said to myself, I said, you know, I'm going to be in this type of pain for the rest of my life. I can either start having it, having the disease can take over, ruin my life, sit on my butt the rest of my life for not doing something, or just grab this. Opportunity by the hand, and I knew it was going to be extremely, extremely painful. I mean, it has been the most extremely painful thing I've ever gone through. So, um, joined up with the local derby uh, group called the Fort Myers Derby Girls seven years ago, and started skating again. And like I said, it was extremely hard at first. Um, Learned the rules of the game. Became an NSO, which is a non-skating official. Got introduced to announcing. And I've been with roller derby ever since. I'm now with the Brady, Kentucky Bombers and Ellington, Florida. I skate with them over at the uh, Ellington Ice Complex.
4: Uh
1: huh.
5: And don't they the don't they a name for you, they have they have a nice floor for skating. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so so
0: and, that is incredibly it, awesome that uh, you, you took uh, something that. Uh, could have been an obstacle and you turned it into an opportunity that is very heroic uh, in the uh, classical Greek sense of the word
5: uh, and uh, very amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. When I, when I was at that point, when I first joined roller derby, I was, if it was a long distance walk, I would have to walk with a cane, not walk at all, or be in a wheelchair. Mm. And literally I started walking, and and you know how when the neuropathy really gets going, it, you're almost, you want to either chop off your legs or just, I, I don't know, just about anything, just to get rid of that pain, but I, I and there's been times I've had to come off the floor, go behind some chairs, go behind something, and just be on the floor, and just biting my mouth guard as hard as I can, just screaming, because it hurts so bad, mm. but it just makes me more madder. I just get
0: more mad at that so. I know. It's it it is a challenge. Uh and uh um I'm uh well the Greek way of looking at things, I'm sixty. I'm in my sixtieth year, uh but I guess uh, the American way of looking at it, I'm fifty nine. Um but uh um, I, this has been a very big uh, challenge to live with the neuropathy, and uh, um, it's uh, pushed me into exercising more and like doing balance exercises and all sorts of things. And a uh, few people can understand the effect to which uh, that really alters uh, um, your experience of reality. And uh, especially the gloves and socks of, like, boiling <laughs> boiling water, which is what it feels like uh, in a very real sense. It feels like you're actually, you know, like, immersed in boiling water all the time.
5: Or you have, so, like uh, I, I like call it, like, Freddy Krueger's claws in the back of my leg just ripping out through it. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. So it's amazing that you became a roller derby queen and got involved with the roller derby, something very physical, um, and demanding, so I'm I'm very impressed, you
5: It's very empower like you said before, it's very empowering too, because again, it's a context for it, it's predominantly uh, done by women. It's, we don't get paid for this. Let me put this foot up We do not get okay. paid for it. Roller derby kind of takes over our lives. It takes over our time. It takes over everything else. But you gain, uh, you gain a lot. I mean, you gain a a team of sisters. Um, mm-hmm. We all become the moms and and grandmas and aunts and uncles to the, the, the kids that are around. Um, and um, let me um, just mention this. There's even now um, someone that's involved in roller derby who went to the Winter Olympics. Aaron Jackson
1: uh-huh. he,
5: um, first started out as an um, inline speed scanner was introduced to Roller Derby um, about, I believe, five years ago. And if she hears me, I hope you correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, with um, Gold Coast and then went to Jacksonville. And from there, she started training. Um, just actually four months before the um, Olympics, uh, of Olympic trials, she started in line uh, – actually, not in line. Sorry, I take it back um, – doing – Speed skating, speed ice skating, went to the Olympic trials the first time and qualified. And she did, um, going to the Olympic, hey, that's, that in itself, I, I would be honored just to walk through those gates as a participant, but, you know, um, she did she did pretty good. She did really well. She shaved off a lot of her time. Uh, she placed the position of jammer, which is the point scorer. And believe me, when she gets through, if she gets through the pack, you are not going to catch her. You are definitely not going to catch <laughs> her, So, especially with her. Uh, we have uh, Derby Wives, our, our, our partners, our friends, our best friends become our Derby Wives. And uh, uh, her sister, Jamstrella, um, her name is Takia, and she goes by the name of Jamstrella. And she is another p- awesome jammer. She is an awesome blocker as well. She's a, what we call a triple threat. She plays all positions mm-hmm. and is excellent in all the positions. So is Aaron. So it's wonderful to see that kind of go out more, and people are like roller derby, and you see the and you see interest in roller derby just you know just expanding again. I personally hope that it. it I, I we don't want to see it go like it did back in the 80s when it was you know more or less professional wrestling, you know. <laughs> Well, um, because why, if we did half the stuff we did then, or they did then, we would be in the permanent penalty box. So,
0: Why, why did professional wrestling become like a profession and uh, roller derby uh, more an avocation, like a passion? Uh, is there a reason, or it's just basically that's the way that things unfolded?
5: It, that's the way things unfolded, because a lot of people that watch stuff like this, uh, I, I call it the 30-minute the fix. I mean, you're watching games and things like that. It's not exciting unless someone, like in wrestling, you see someone run down the ring and interrupt a, interrupt a match in progress or, or things like that. Uh-huh. And I have a couple friends who are wrestlers, and they're told oh, they got to make it more exciting. Well, we try to make it exciting as much as possible, too, I mean, um, but not like that because stunts like that kind of almost ruined the game, almost ruined the uh, ruined it and it went into a period of decline before the 90s before it was um, it went through its rebirth in Texas and it started up back in Texas um, with um, banks Roller Derby and it just started coming back and it's been going gangbusters out there
0: uh huh
5: so in fact, there's is, a. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to mention the national organization. The women, um, it, well, Derby's mostly played on the flat track. It it's very mm-hmm. rare, that, uh, few and far between that you see the bank tracks anymore. Like in the movie Whip It, I get asked asked that all the time. Are oh, you mean like the movie Whip It? Um, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, if we did half that stuff. I mean, we're, we're talking about the rest of, you. Know, first off, this is not like Whip It. You did that. You're you're going to be thrown out. <laughs> you're done. <laughs> um, so, is but some it, of it there's scripted? There's an organization. Is some I'm of sorry? it
0: scripted? Like like uh, professional wrestling, for instance, is is partially, no. if not wholly, scripted. A uh, roller derby is not.
5: No, it is not. It's constantly changing every minute that you're on the track. You're either playing it. Um, Offense or defense, there is really no time, no nothing to do any like scripted kind of stuff. There really isn't. Uh huh. Um, and like, and now if we're quick enough when announcing it, you know, we can um, not exactly script it, but you know, we can make it more exciting for the fans. And that's kind of like our job is to make this more exciting for fans, both either um, at the venue, and if we're so lucky to be on um, uh, Facebook Live or Hit Squad or even ESPN um ESPN was kind enough to show off the um we have a national um competition you know kind of like a world series um every year and they were very kind enough to uh put to have that on air last year ESPN2 had it on last year and the year before that okay and it was so exciting. I mean, just to see something, to go to the big leagues, as it were, so. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Oh, my gosh. It's like um, the the World Series, I mean, the big leagues. The, you get there, and it's like you see this huge open place open and this little bitty track, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I even get to be here. Again, it's like going to the Olympics or watching Olympics on, on the television. It can be great empowering you to think yourself. Okay, what am I going to do for next year to even get close to that?
0: So. Okay, I guess mis- I misunderstood what you were saying. I'm sorry. Uh, I was uh, oh, that's okay. I, I heard that it wasn't a, a good place uh, to reach, and uh, now I'm understanding that I didn't hear you correctly. So my apologies.
5: Oh, I oh I'm sorry. Didn't mean to <laughs> not um, explain myself very well here.
0: No you you did. I just it, it didn't click in my head in the right way. Now I understand what you're saying and that, and that is incredibly uh, um, awesome. Um, where do you see yourself going with this uh, journey uh, that you're taking through the roller? of her? because it is it's a very spiritual journey for you. Um, and it, is. it, uh, it is. has transformed you already and uh, um, I really love the stories that you share and it's empowered you. So where do you see it going?
5: Well, I'm just turned 50 this year. I'm going to skate as long as I can. And um, after that, I either plan to um, go back into announcing, you know, full-on announcing, or Uh even become a referee, or even start helping train the next generation of skaters to, to to be in the roller derby. And it's not only for adults too, there is jun- there are junior derbies out there. And let me tell you, these junior kids really impressed me. I mean, they, they go up there and when they hit the track they are like one hundred and fifty percent. I mean, you can't you don't think that you can't see more and then you see this kid jump an apex um, and it's like, wow my gosh, this guy's got some serious hang time and he's only sixteen. And or you see the little the little, little ones some um it starts around age seven, and it's uh-huh. so cute seeing these kids out there, but they are serious, they are really serious.
0: that is awesome mm-hmm. and how can people um enter your world like you mentioned a few places where they can go to follow. Uh, What uh, you're doing And what the sport is doing But in terms of entering uh, The world of Tina Chandler roller derby queen How would they go about doing that
5: (laughs) Okay Uh, Simple thing is There is a national organization It's WFTDA The Women's Mm -hmm. Flat Track Derby Association And you can look up The teams that are in your area I mean I drive um, Some people say Well it's a little party drive Or whatever I drive two hours to get there Wow and, yes, I, I don't mind. <laughs> I just put it in my book, too, and I just go. And um, you just look up. Well, yeah, yes. Uh, and you just can um, find out from the local teams when they're doing either recruitment nights or when they're doing their games. Go see a game. Go look it up on YouTube. There's a lot. They have Um, the, the um, go under com. They have archived games, including last year's national. And, um, um, go go online, look up your local teams, and just go to a game. Go 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 see it. I mean, it's it's sometimes it's really hard to to talk about it. And I mean, like I said, I mean just, some people have come to it and said, oh man, it's so disappointing. It just looks like a bunch of women shoving each other on the track. And it's really not. I mean, it takes a lot. Like I said, it's a lot of skill and power just to hold that purse, the jammer back. I mean, you have to lock yourself in a line. While this person is pushing, shoving, um, w- trying to wiggle in between, trying to jump on the outside, trying to be- get help from her teammates to push her through the pack. And it actually takes a lot of skills to do it. And a lot of people, when they start roller derby, and I will uh-huh. say this, it does take time. Don't expect to go out there and then be an immediate success. It's going to take time. You have to go through what we call the Fresh Meat Program. You know own ohm, sweet, own fresh meat you know? <laughs> where you get kind of I, uh seasoned as it were,
0: I put a link to the uh, w f t d a website on the the facebook uh, description. I put a picture of you too and a link to your uh, Facebook page. Is there any place else you'd like me to uh, link
5: um, <laughs> My mind just went blank here um if you okay. want to um put um uh if you put down the WTDA, WTDA um you can definitely see where the local teams are at so and the archive games. Um or you can follow me on Facebook, you know. Um, I put a link that's to a thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well I'd like to uh, have you on again very soon. Um and I'm very curious about the history of um uh, roller derby. Uh, would you like to come okay. back and talk about that? Okay. We'll plan it. Definitely. yes. Yeah. Tina, always a pleasure. Uh, I wish you the very best always. And uh, um, I will talk to you very soon. Okay.
5: For you and Athena, thank you. And I guess I'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay. Take care. Uh, we are going now okay. to listen okay. to Uh, Another song, and then we'll be back with the American Workforce Association. And since we're all um, sharing and following our dreams, I will play King of Dreams. Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus. This is the fourth Wednesday of the month, and on that date, we focus on vocation. uh, And we always have a segment about the champions of the working class, the American Workforce Association. And we are now here with Dan Oloa, the founder of this August body of professionals. Greetings and welcome, Dan. How are you?
6: I'm good, Hercules. How are
0: you?
2: I'm doing great. Very busy,
0: which is good, (laughs) but great. Um, Lots of uh, stuff uh, going on. Uh, Things are moving ahead with the library. Um, The podcast uh, is evolving, and soon there'll be a library segment. Uh, And we're getting people who represent different professions uh, sharing uh, how they got there. Uh, Earlier tonight, we had somebody who's a deep-sea diver and then somebody who's a roller derby queen. So uh, we're sharing that information on how people can uh, uh, look into these uh, very interesting professions.
6: Oh, Don, that is quite varied.
0: Now... There's always something going up whenever we talk, and you guys are very busy and you're very active in trying to improve uh, uh, the working man and woman's uh, lot. What has been going on since last time uh, we had a chance to talk?
6: Yeah, we've been, yeah, we've been busy on a uh, number of fronts. Actually, uh, earlier this uh, night, I was just making a uh, YouTube video with uh, oh, a awesome, guy named Yeah, yeah, with a guy named Edison. He's head of the uh, Port Drivers Association, and we were discussing uh, 1099 independent contractor issues and the trucking industry. So he has a really unique uh, group there, similar to ours, that he's trying to organize and help people who aren't really um, falling under a union and don't really have anywhere else to turn to. So he's really trying to educate them about the best ways to kind of like manage being in the trucking industry as an independent contractor if you don't understand the laws. So actually, so we were talking about an interesting Supreme Court case that happened uh, last week. It was Mm -hmm. uh, called New Prime versus versus Oliveira, where a Supreme Court unanimously unanimously, uh, decided in favor of the worker side Uh, Which, given the nature of the Supreme Court, which is generally very conservative, was a refreshing turn of events.
0: That is refreshing.
6: Yeah, yeah. So it's really funny that basically these truck drivers, the trucking companies want to force these independent contractors to make a deal with them behind closed doors. A process known as uh, forced arbitration. You're not able mm-hmm. to go in front of a judge and argue the way you're supposed to do. Uh, and the catch is this clause is in a lot of contracts. So the worker side was arguing that, no, you know, under the law, we are workers and have this remedy. Uh, so it was really funny that the conservatives on the court who really believe in the original intent of the law and it not evolving, we're like, okay, they are workers, so this does count, so they are able to go to court. So while it is a very technical victory and
4: not uh-huh. the biggest
6: of victories, it is a victory nonetheless. It is a victory, so Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we were explaining that and, you know, defining for example, the nature of what a 1099 contractor is and on how under that position you have to really be aware of the fact that you have to pay um, and put away money for taxes. For taxes. For, yeah. yeah, and pension and retirement in a way, in healthcare in a way that you don't usually as an employee and how that's often one of the problems with being a 1099 truck driver now. Now, um, you've taken it upon uh,
0: yourself and uh, all your colleagues, which I'm honored to be one, have also dedicated themselves to trying to improve a lot of the uh, working person and uh, strengthen the middle uh, class. What can we do, um, like, in addition to being aware and becoming involved, um, how can we Best educate ourselves on what the actual issues are because it's hard to see. And I've been I've been uh, uh, working with the Department of Labor and the Department of Employment in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, and I'm having a difficult time uh, seeing what's currently going on. Well, uh,
6: that, that is <laughs> always a catch because there is so much going on. Uh, for example, I do subscribe to a number of listservs um, from periodicals, magazines, uh, blogs put out from labor sources to stay on top of these types of things. Uh, so, In These Times is a good publication towards that end. Uh, Harvard University actually has a really pro-labor um <laughs> Section uh, And they put out a daily blog, Unlabor Daily, I believe it's called, but I shouldn't be quoted on that. But they uh-huh. uh, really cover this in a niche, nitty-gritty way. But, you know, there's also, for us in, here in the 21st century, there's also Facebook and Twitter that you can follow. For example, the AFL-CIO, uh, Bloomberg BNA. Uh, part of the Bloomberg Media Company uh, that mm-hmm. they acquired um, is uh, really pro-labor, and they put out some interesting pieces on a consistent basis. The American Prospect uh, is another publication that has an active Twitter where you can read their get links to their articles on a regular basis. Uh, if you're interested that way, uh, if oh, you're more interested. open to different yeah, yeah, so it's great. Yeah, they they have a lot of good articles that way. Um Jacobin magazine is an interesting uh resource for those who are open to or ideas and are uh and were fans of uh, Bernie Sanders, uh they would enjoy Jacobin. Mm-hmm. Uh if if you don't like Bernie, you're not gonna like Jacobin, to say the least. <laughs> If you can Um, uh, um,
0: send me those publications in an email, I will make sure to share them on my uh, uh, timeline and I will make sure that I subscribe. I'm currently getting things from like the department of employment, the department of labor, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, government and uh, political um, uh, uh, conveyors of information through my email. Uh, So yeah, I would definitely like to round out, uh, um, my uh, awareness and expand it uh, through all the different periodicals you're mentioning. It sounds great.
6: Yeah, definitely. I'll have to, uh, I got to write down that list then because there, there are so there are really so many and there's because there are so many like different issues in the broad area of labor to be covered that there are a lot of publications, but if you like reading, you know, there are, they are there available and fascinating now what what do you
0: feel about uh what's going on now with uh, the government shutdown and all of those uh hard-working people uh being forced to work for free or, or you know um how is that how can we respond to that because that's eight hundred thousand people minimally who are being affected by this, and uh, all the people that are dependent on them, uh, including their communities.
6: Yeah, that that yeah. is a really good point, actually, especially the community part, especially in the D.C. metro area, where a lot of those are federal workers, and you know a lot of those small business small businesses you know depend on those federal dollars. Uh, for example, not to mention any number of other services that way. It is quite a travesty, actually. We're now in probably about day 31 or so. You know, it's now by far the longest government shutdown. It's uh, ridiculous at this rate uh, that Trump can't concede that there's not going to be a wall, that any... (laughs) Not to get on a tangent here, but any but we didn't do we don't believe in the wall and we are as poor immigrant rights that any right. wall can be easily um, evaded, uh burrowed under, um if you've ever seen uh Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. I'm sure there's a number of well, them. <laughs> a lot of people are
0: describing that. Uh, and uh there there's a very uh, powerful image of uh uh, how much uh, the wall can be affected by a man uh, or a woman yielding a simple saw? It, it was fairly easy to saw
6: through oh, yeah.
0: the, <laughs> the wall that was up.
6: Yeah, that was that was an especially good one because like he's trying to like can see that it's gonna be like a smaller wall and it's just like even less effective and more ridiculous. But yeah, back to the workers; it really is bad because like while while a lot of them might be the image of like middle class workers doing technical work there are a lot of like blue collar guys there you know taking care of the parks like the uh-huh. national mall is probably shut down right now you can't get on you know and garbage is accumulating because the individuals who take care of that aren't working for example and it's becoming all the more dire you know air traffic control and those issues especially now that we have the super bowl upon us dealing with federal workers. Um, related to like Atlanta security is becoming a problem, for example. Right. Ideally, like they'll all get back pay uh, whenever Trump concedes that he's a fool and it ends.
0: Yeah. It, 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 uh, I, as a citizen of the, this uh, country uh, and uh, the a descendant of immigrants over the past uh, couple of uh, generations. Uh, I'm very puzzled, and one of the things that uh, uh, is puzzling me is why aren't there mechanisms in place to prevent this? You know, how is it that uh, uh, a handful of individuals uh, can do all this uh, stuff? You know, I had always thought that there were uh, checks and balances and that there were safeguards. Um, You know, and that uh, the the focus was on some very deep level on uh, continued uh, governance despite the uh, um, politics. But now I'm seeing that that is not so, you know, and I'm very surprised by the things that are going on. I feel uh, very honestly that uh, I'm like in a time warp (laughs) or like an alternate dimension a lot of uh, the time. And uh, it's it's just uh, very puzzling, and we cannot allow this type of thing to continue. We need to uh, we need to f- uh, fix this. Uh, uh, and uh, I applaud you and the AWA for you know t- trying you know to um, to address the uh, uh, needs and concerns of the workers because uh, workers are being disregarded, uh, and uh, it- it's amazing. I can't believe I'm seeing what I'm seeing.
6: Yeah, it really, yeah it really is bad that we're at such a long um, shutdown this way. And it really is, like, the end of a trend where, you know, you don't have the ideal of, like, a West Wing episode or some similar notion where he's a reasonable man who can debate and come to, like, an agreement that's the better for the country. Quite unfortunately, that, yeah you know, that you have especially the Republicans are putting, you know, party loyalty over country that the House has passed uh when it convened like a few weeks ago. They passed to be able to open reopen the government. And like they're not willing to like deal with the fact that this wall doesn't really make sense. And the fact that it can't really keep people out. It's going to run up the budget. Uh it's not like the best way to deal with immigration issues. In Any sense of the word it's just like a like a silly little prop in like rhetoric in cheap rhetoric
0: so i I hope that again, as we move through this and we uh, uh meet the challenges that are being presented and that we overcome them uh that we uh come up with uh, better solutions and safeguards so that again this never happens again and uh the um Events that led to the uh, weakness of the middle class and the widening of the divide uh, between uh, different socioeconomic uh, uh, classes—that too uh, cannot be allowed to, to happen again.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Like we're seeing now, like what happens when you you sort of take these things for granted to say that, like, oh, these issues were settled for example, in the 30s, 40s, you know, we can all relax and enjoy, like, the great prosperity after World War II, you know, or that, you know, these republics, or that somebody seems reasonable and wouldn't go to such extremes, but, you know, you see, when we've conceded so much to business and, like, the conservative class, you know, they just want more and more, And what that usually comes at is the expense of the working man and woman who, you know, doesn't really benefit from, you know, decreased regulations. And in fact, harmed by such things is harmed when the minimum wage doesn't go up. It's harmed when union labor protections uh, are weakened, even if you're not in a union, because unions were able to act as a rising tide that lifted so many boats. So we got our work cut out for us, huh, Dan? Yeah, yeah, we do, but, you know, we're making progress. I think one of the things that uh, we've seen, actually, is that when people are attacked, you know, people are fighting back, that uh, unions have become stronger, that their membership is more um, awakened to these issues and more... um, Interested in fighting back, for example, so that's been a great sign. You know, we just uh, there was just actually a recent strike in Los Angeles uh, that the teachers were trying to bargain for almost a year plus, weren't able to, they struck for a week, now they have a good deal. So it's the kind of thing, and they were only able to have such a successful strike after they really educated their members. So, you know, being under attack, sometimes the, the silver lining is, you know, people wake up. And fight back, and you know we took back Congress on a similar momentum of a resurgence of civic participation and activism. So hopefully, it will continue.
0: I, I hope so as well. Is the YouTube video that you made uh, posted? I'll gladly uh, uh, include it in the uh, you know the comments uh, under tonight's episode.
6: Uh, no, unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get posted till. Saturday. We made the Facebook Live video, and there's like technical issues that have to be dealt with it. It was, was, for those who were interested, it was under the Port Drivers Association. So, that's uh, the organization we were uh, partnering with to make the video. I went to their office. We had a good conversation there.
0: Um, I'm moving in that direction uh, this year as well with uh, video, and uh, like you said, there's a lot of issues uh, that uh, need to be uh, you know, worked out, and uh, um, I'm uh, in my 60th year, <laughs> so my learning curve is a lot steeper than it uh, uh, once was, uh, but I'm determined to move in that direction. So hopefully, um, as these videos start coming out, we'll be able to share them and uh, reach a wider audience and raise awareness.
6: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's the goal of this type of work. You know, uh, the idea here was that you know, we can make a video tonight, and a lot of uh, their members, for example, could watch them tomorrow when they have like spare time at work, when right. they're trying to they're a little idle, unfortunately, due to the nature of the uh, port, which um, forces uh, truckers to be idle for far too long now.
0: We touched upon the plight of the truckers uh, a few times and uh, um, my uh, father-in-law was a trucker. So I got to see uh, a lot of uh, what was going on unfolding you know, before my very eyes. And it was, it was very sad when the uh, seniority stopped, uh, you know, being important and, uh Uh, when uh, uh, drivers who had seniority all of a sudden weren't finding work and their vehicles uh, were being uh, targeted for all sorts of things. So, um, you know, I can sympathize uh, with all the drivers out there.
6: Yeah, it really is, like, a shame that um, at one point, like, it seemed like a great, like, middle-class profession, and then it kind of all went to hell, you know, under the Republicans and Reagan, and, you know, some people are able to make the 1099s work. You know, in New Jersey, we have decently strong labor laws, so only a certain level of education is needed, but, like, in Missouri, for example, where the Supreme Court case originated, the the worker, 1099 contractor, was forced to pay into all sorts of things that he was almost making below minimum wage, they were saying you had calculated
0: it as such. New Jersey, um, despite uh, the many challenges and the many things they need fixing in New Jersey, um, I can actually say I'm proud to be living in New Jersey, that New Jersey uh, has gotten many things uh, right, or at least is trying to make them right. So uh, um, we, we do have a lot of good things happening here as well.
6: That's very true. Actually, that brings me to our other thing: is that and there has been some progress uh, in the
1: uh,
6: our uh, fight for 15. That uh, Governor Murphy has made a deal with uh, Speaker Coughlin and uh, Senate President Sweeney. Uh, that isn't the worst deal uh, that could come out, you know, to raise minimum wage. So, this is legislation that's been stalled almost half a year now. That we were expecting a deal, but the nature of politics made it very slow and. You know, it's not the best deal. For example, there's always you know, trips workers could be making more money. You know, farm workers um, are getting a, a good raise, but it's not the best raise. But you know, we're making progress, and the and it does go into effect where we get ten an hour starting in July uh, of this year. So, you a know, I'm, so we're happy about that. Yeah, yeah. So it is a great step forward, and. No, we'll be advocating tomorrow in the State House to, to make the uh, legislation uh, pass into law.
0: Now, this is something I, I meant uh, to uh, ask you when we have a uh, conversation on Monday, but since it's on my mind and we're kind of going there, um, a lot, uh, as you know, I'm walking the path of public service, you know, and getting involved in uh, politics. Um, and uh, um, so that's something I've dedicated myself to and I'm committed to. Um, With some of the other issues that are important to me, um, people send me, like, uh, petitions or, uh, you know, inform me when I need to contact my representatives uh, and why I should contact them about certain legislation. Is there something like that for labor that I can tap into?
6: Yes, there's definitely um – this serves to like to sign up for and like organizations advocating on labor issues, you know, um, working families with leading. What?
0: Yeah. If you can enlighten me about that again, in an email, I will integrate it into what uh, I'm doing.
6: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's definitely a lot of good organizations out there who have listservs where they're advocating um, and seeking people to contact the representatives. You know, our uh, partners, New Jersey uh, Working Families, which has been leading the uh, coalition, raise uh, the wage, uh, has, like, a great listserv. And, you know, the similar organizations which uh, with uh, listservs um, that try to educate people in order for them to contact their representatives.
0: Now, what do you think of the list that's been given to government workers on things that they can do, like uh, having garage sales? Uh, Right now, it's it's a bit too cold (laughs) to be having garage sales. I I went the flea market garage sale route uh, years ago um, as part of my exploration of uh, different things I can do. Uh, And although it was a fun journey and I'm glad that I did it, uh, it really wasn't a very, uh, um, you know, productive one in terms of uh, uh streams of uh, revenue. Uh and now with uh um you know regulation changes on uh, online uh, trading uh, sites or selling sites it's increasingly more difficult to earn a living through those as well whereas uh, uh not too long ago it wasn't.
6: Yeah, it's really like a saying that like people with full time jobs have to like resort to these types of things. It's not even like they've been fired, you know, it's just like this weird period where like they're not collecting paychecks because like the boss is insane, quite frankly. Uh so it really like that they have to do these things and resort to these issues really is like a horrible travesty and like ideally they'll get the back pay um and a bill will pass Congress but even that would, could take a quite a while you know and you have people who are really you know struggling like the people that do regular things you know security guards you know lunch ladies you know for example in their cafeterias those are the people that really aren't making like great money but like you know they have a decent like regular wages coming in when they're working
0: and uh, so, I, I've also yeah. seen, uh, I, I worked in uh, vocational rehabilitation as, as a, uh, a vocational counselor, and uh, th- that was some of the stuff I did uh, back in the, uh, um, like, 80s, 90s, uh, uh, even earlier into the late uh, 70s. Uh, and that's something I became uh, known for. And I've seen an erosion uh, in the degree to which people identify with their professions before there was uh, – Um, there there was kind of like a pride in what one did and an identification with one's uh, profession but I've seen that greatly eroded over the past uh, decade decade and a half as well
6: yeah it's really difficult that that way way. you know when we have you know a very fluid economy where you're not going to really get the loyalty back from the bosses for example for that profession you know, for for working. And, you know, we also have a lot of, like, fluid professions nowadays. You know, due to, like, the nature of hyper-capitalism and whatnot, people change jobs more. And, uh-huh. like, changing jobs might might mean, like, a changing of professions. Like, I've been in touch with a number of former journalists, for example, who have become, like, adept at public relations, which is a similar skill set, but in a different profession, ostensibly. Right. different associations regarding those professions, organizing them and educating them. So you know, that's one reason that people don't have that loyalty and not all professions have such um, professional associations or organizations where you can go to and like chit-chat and need to keep up on standards. You know, other professions are very regulated, accounting um Think salon workers actually might be regulated on some level like that, where you have to have a continuing credit and then a culture forms around that. But you know, that kind of thing like erodes, for example, if people are trying to get out of that or people are uninterested in work, for example, when it's just a means to end a paycheck, if you're no longer de- deriving the same pride of work, if working conditions aren't really ideal and you're trying to. You know, work, working for the weekend, as it's called, as people say.
0: Um, the, the challenges are before us, and we're uh, certainly uh, totally dedicated uh, to meeting them and making this world a better uh, place. Uh, we are nearing the end of uh, the AWA report, and uh, we are going to be speaking with Vern Whitlock, Jr. on today's segment of Meet the AWA. Uh, Dan, you're welcome to remain if you'd like, uh, but Vern is uh, in our, on our
6: dashboard. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, remain and uh, look forward to it.
0: Okay, great. Uh, greetings and welcome, Vern Whitlock. How are you? Good. How are you doing today, Hercules? Pleasure to be on your show. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you here. I've been looking forward uh, to this. Um, We have a segment, uh, Meet the AWA. Sadie's been on it so far, and of course uh, Dan, and now it's your turn. And we're exploring uh, everyone's uh, background and the journey that brought them to uh, wanting to do something about these labor issues and uh, joining the AWA. So I guess we'll begin at the beginning. Um, what was your journey uh, before you were drawn uh, towards addressing these issues?
2: It, it was, it was a, a combination of two things. One, I got, actually just got a random invitation on Facebook from Dan just to come to one of the meetings. And I just showed up, and I uh-huh. actually kind of fell in love with the group. About, it's an awesome like, the bunch of issues. people. What do you say?
0: It's an awesome
2: bunch of people. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and also, I did had have some labor issues. I worked at Panera for two and a half years. And some of the stuff, like ma- manager-wise, like I don't want to say cruelty, but I mean like unfairness, like where I did not have a voice. That also connected me with, like, AWA and our teachings or our mission. And so you,
0: you were invited, you came, you liked what you heard, uh, and you got yes. uh, involved, and you find that your association involved. with the AWA is very uh, yes. empowering. Yes. And like me, you you're using your skills in a particular uh, area of the AWA's development. Would you care to talk about your present role?
2: Yes. Yes, I'm the volunteer organizer. So that means I mainly just—I don't want to say recruit volunteers, but I take care of the members. And I, awesome. I, 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 yeah, I make sure the sheets are always updated. Whenever Dan requests a new update, I'll make sure it's on there. Pro- uh, right away. I also, people have told me to pretty much stay quiet because I can't stop talking about the group. What's <laughs> a good thing. Yeah. I'll have you yeah. on the radio
0: more often then. This way you can talk about the group uh, as yeah. much as you like. <laughs> and
2: I, I, I know if Dan's still there, Dan and Sadie has, more, has a little bit more free time than I do. But I attend as many events as I possibly can. Th- that
0: is awesome. What type of events do yeah. you uh, do you uh,
2: participate in? Attend. Yeah. Uh, yes. Me, Dan, and Sidey, uh went to the Tech uh, Workers Expo over in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Also, I was at the uh, $15 minimum wage um, thing down in Trenton in June. Down at the State House, the uh, NJEA. Um, the other. The other event, I actually did it on my own, but on behalf of the AWA, was uh, when Trump was locking up the kids, the immigrant kids, I went to the protest down in D.C. Uh-huh. Very first time in D.C., but I went there with the AWA button and handing out my business cards on the train and stuff, grabbing awareness from, from all the way from New York Penn all the way to D.C. I was just talking about it to people. Th- that
6: is
0: great that you're, you're able to, um, apply the time. Um, at this particular point, uh, in my journey, uh, my time is rather limited and my, uh, my, uh, circle of travel is, uh, kind of, uh, limited. Um, but, uh, um, th- there are ways for each of us uh, to help out uh, uh, in the best way we-, we can. And with me, it's these uh, uh, podcasts and other type of communications. Uh, I have a lot of that on my yeah. background. I've been doing it on and off for decades. So, um, you know, this is my way of uh, contributing to the-, to the cause. Now, what is the dream that guides you? Uh, where do you see, like, if everything happens the way it should, uh, where do you see the AWA being in like a decade?
2: Where do I see in a decade? Yes. Uh, to be honest, I think we're just going to be a strong group. Awesome. And I, I think we're just going to have like like a better um, I don't want to say a foothold, but to say a foothold in D.C. or in Trenton and possibly even D.C. That would be great. And what, what? type of um, societal problems.
0: Would you like to be solved uh, through your participation in the AWA?
2: First of all, the uh, minimum wage. Number one. Okay. Because people do need um, need a livable wage. Yes. When I worked at Panera, I was only sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really need a livable wage. I didn't have to pay rent.
6: I didn't have
2: uh, kids. But I, I see – I go to these other things that are actually paying like eight thirty eight or whatever the new minimum wage is, and I see they have kids. They have a car. They have uh, actual rent, high rent that they have to pay. So I'm saying these people – the retail all their life, so they need something to live off of, livable. Right. So I, I see us actually – Pushing the minimum wage, even though it's going to go into effect on the 24th, 2000, no, not 24th, 2024, on the new article I read.
0: So that's something that you'd like to bring into being, you know, faster than 2024? Uh, 20, uh, yes. That is worthy, and I can see that happening because we we are we seem to be despite all the roadblocks we seem to be moving slowly in that direction, and as a society we seem to be grasping that understanding that if people are you know have a livable wage. Um, and more than a livable wage, uh, they would spend more in our economy and would have a stronger economy, which would improve everybody's life, not just the folks, uh, um, you know, who are currently struggling, but everybody's life.
2: Yes. And Yes, I agree with you, Hercules.
0: What do you feel about uh,
2: the uh, 1099
0: issue that the AWA is also currently wrestling with? Uh, the
2: 1099 1099- I think that will be actually a little bit more of a challenge than to than the you know, how do I how do I put this? It's it's going to be more challenging than actual minimum wage issue because okay. uh, because as as it is, it's a tax practice for the IRS, and I think the companies could dodge uh, ten or like change the paperwork on ten ninety nine workers. Quicker than they could prevent the minimum wage going up. That, that's a very good uh,
0: point, uh, but that that struggle needs to be uh, um, met, you know, right now. So we can triumph over that uh, as well. Um, I'm looking into personally, um, you know, with the 10.99. Since basically you are being hired uh, as uh, uh, like a uh, a uh, uh, a professional worker. Um, that there might be a way to get uh, business uh, benefits uh, from that. You know, so I'm, that's something I'm personally looking into. Um, and okay. uh, I'm forming an enrichment uh, educational uh, company. I actually have one already. So I'm using that to teach myself, <laughs> you know, basically what uh, the pluses of that might be. Because uh, one of the pluses is that more opportunities are becoming available um, in the like that type of uh, um, employment uh, than there are in other types of employment. So whereas uh, a lot of places will not hire you as a full-time or part-time worker, um, as part of the gig economy, there's a lot more gigs than there were uh, a few years ago. So that's a plus. Now it's how do you turn that plus uh, into a bigger plus where it's not a liability if you're trying to get health insurance and uh, uh, other things uh, that you need as well.
2: Uh, well, with the insurance and everything, you know the companies uh, really don't want to pay. That's their main issue. Right. They're going to try to save money as much as they can. So I think it's pretty much just trying to convince our legislators in D.C., uh, the county, and townships in Trenton to say, hey, this, this is not right. We're all human beings. We deserve health care we deserve a livable wage. These companies have to own up to their responsibilities uh, as employers to provide the right benefits. I've had
0: some employers on the show um, giving like the other side of that uh, story. And uh, they have been uh, speaking about all that they are subjected to, you know, in terms of uh, uh, taxing and liability and things like that. And Paying the, like they used to pay before, where it was a normal thing that employers uh, uh, pay, is something that they can no longer afford um, under, you know, this economy. And what they've been um, speaking about is, uh, you know, basically like single-point uh, payer insurance or, you know, health care for all. Uh, and this way, it's something that as a society, we look at this and we address it. Um, how would you answer them, you know, in their, in their you know, basically understanding?
2: In, in what you're saying is if I was in the company's eyes, if I had to pay my employees um, a livable wage and the insurance, right?
0: Right. What, they, what they're saying is that in the older reality, it was possible for them to do this. Um, and that was a factor in, you know, hiring people and, you know, paying them and, you know, keeping them uh, from leaving and going to competitive, you know, to competition. But that in the current reality that we have, uh, it is an expense that they cannot you know, afford, especially small businesses. Um, and well, they, they want everybody to have health care. Uh, but uh, the burden that used to be on them is not one that they can shoulder anymore. That's you know basically what they've shared. Um, so how would you uh, address that?
2: Well, actually, I would say yes, they should get health care. But depending on like their job level, it should be uh-huh. let's say the the let's say a cashier gets a decent decent health care, but a guy uh-huh. that's actually doing more laborious work and hard work he should get better benefits because he 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 had the i should say the safety risk should be also be considered and that would uh and the employees I, i i hate to say this should pay like a little bit of a percentage into their benefits because the public employees are paying their benefits too
0: right that That is one of the topics we we discussed, and uh the employers that I posed this question to weren't adverse to um you know uh paying like incentives, so supplementing and improving on you know benefits that everybody was getting um you know to provide incentives for people to work with them th- that was not something that they were against that was something that they would support
2: okay yeah i and also, the rise of multi-level marketing is also taking place, too. I don't know like a lot I, about that. I, 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 no, do I, I went to background? one event. In Yeah, I actually went to one event in Island, actually. And it was full of, like, people that do multi-level marketing. So, uh, like, the CBD oils in Jersey are coming around since uh, the legalization of marijuana is on the table in Trenton. Okay so um, so people I would sign up through a guy and he i he i he will create some residual income for me, but I'll get um like two other people on create residual income from them, okay, but it's a hard, hard market to get into those kind of things because everybody's doing it
0: right. Yeah, they're often called pyramid, uh, you know, like uh, schemes and stuff. Because uh, after, if enough people are doing them, it becomes impossible to, you know, to build uh, uh, the structure where you'd be getting residual income from uh, the people that you got uh, uh, involved. Um, and if you get in at the beginning of that type of thing, you you tend to do well. Whereas later on, uh, uh, it becomes increasingly more difficult, you know, to to get people to to work for you. Yes.
2: No, but I'm saying that I I have seen like like especially in malls, I have seen the rises of like C uh, CBD and multi level marketing kiosks. So I'm just really people might yes. I have seen, um, like, they're the pop-up stands. They're there for, they're for um, let's say, two months and they're gone. So what my thinking is when I see that, more and more people are going to try to get into that, and that leads into, I guess, a bigger gig economy. Right.
0: And uh, that, that's, uh, again, again, it's, it's untenuous uh, if it spreads uh, far enough. Uh, I'm also seeing a lot more work from home uh, type of opportunities. Uh, However, when you explore them, um, you know basically a lot of them are commission based, and they also take in uh, multi-level marketing elements. You know where uh, it becomes very difficult uh, to you know basically earn anything substantial by by doing that type of work.
2: Yeah. Wait. Can you just rephrase that? To be honest, I really didn't grab grab that question.
0: Um, Basically, I'm seeing a lot of uh, uh, opportunities for people to work from home. And in the past, traditionally, those type of positions, you know, were done by moms, you know, were done by students, were done by people who were homebound. Uh, and uh, although they didn't, uh, for the most part, produce uh, uh, phenomenal salaries, they produced a uh, steady, you know, flow of income if the person uh, applied themselves. Uh, as I look at these types of opportunities now, it seems like many of them are uh, commission only. And uh, as you uh, investigate the companies, they've incorporated a lot of the multi-level marketing type of uh, uh, of structures. Which uh, again, it depends when you get involved in that, and you know, knowing that it's not going to last uh, forever if you're, yeah. you know, following that type of structure. So uh, it it it's like a, a contradiction because it seems like there's opportunity, and then actually, you know, th- there isn't.
2: Yeah, that, that's what I'm, that's what, as you said, that's what I'm saying. You have to get in at the prime time. Like there, there's a, like a. Like, say, like an opening between their, that multi-level marketing has no chance uh-huh. to, it's, you already passed your chance. It's already done. So I think that's, as as I said, with the, bring it back to the AWA, that's when people get screwed out of the wages, the benefits. And I, I think we need to bring, like, I, I think we need to bring it back to earth in a way. Like, drown it. Yeah. Grounded today I, to make more opportunity and like say make a better wage and like job security
0: in a way the the information age is making it uh, more difficult uh, too. I remember when I lived in Pennsylvania like half a decade ago, um, I was teaching in uh, colleges, and uh, over time uh, they would uh, have you working like half hour shy of what the part-time or full-time type of, uh, um, uh, I guess, standard had been set for getting benefits and getting vacation and getting insurance and things like that. And uh, even when I was teaching, uh, a lot of times i have a classroom, a physical classroom in front of me and computers, and I would be... Um, discussing the topic and interacting with students who were in like five classrooms spread throughout the state. So they, they not only weren't paying, um, for my time, you know, professionally, um, optimally, uh, keeping doors closed to, uh, benefits. Uh, but also whereas before there would have been five people teaching those, uh, classes, now it's just me teaching five classes throughout uh, Pennsylvania. So I, th- that was happening a lot too. And now uh, there are all sorts of webinars and things like that. They're very common. Uh, so th- that is happening uh, even more.
2: Okay. So, uh, so for for that, I I would say you should definitely get your benefits. Number one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Oh yeah, but uh, though. The the web, as you said, technology. When I think of say what was going on in the 50s, everybody had a job, and if you lost your job, you'll be working in the next two days. Right. I think it's actually technology is actually good and bad. I think it makes it harder to find a job, but also easier because you could work from home if you're disabled, or or actually, or you could get your college degree. Also, hurts because you're, you're creating, as I said, multi-level marketing. People think get-rich-quick scams. They think right. they can do it, but then they find out they're in a world of hurt, and they then they get into, let's say, a retail job that they can't speak up to their boss, or they'll get fired. So
0: it's a difficult time for uh, workers, and uh, it's a good thing that the yes. AWA and other organizations uh, are, are there to try to stem this uh, tide and come up with uh, better yes. uh,
2: solutions. Solution, yes. And actually, with my job as a volunteer organizer, I I uh, hung up uh, posters and stuff in actually touching and Metro Park stations
4: awesome.
1: to
2: say if you, if you have troubles at, at your job, um trouble at your job
0: called called the number and how yes. has the response been
2: uh dan said he hasn't gotten anything yet it
0: takes a while sometimes especially with uh uh putting posters up or leaving uh uh flyers in uh in yes. different places it, ta- it takes uh, you know it takes a while uh, um people are impressed you know the more something is uh, becomes familiar so uh, yes. don't give up hope. Just keep doing what you're doing. No, you I won't.
2: Just do, but then then some thinking. people are like then some people are like uh heck are they gonna do for me? They they said they're gonna contact me and the lawyer. How much do I have to pay for this? So I think before they even call us and ask questions, they're one they're concerned money's gonna be flying out of their pocket.
0: Right. Do you
2: let people yes. know about the bar
0: association's uh uh, the Bar Association in New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, and other states uh, besides has a service uh, where you can speak to a specialty lawyer for half an hour for about 25 30 bucks It, it varies uh, a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, that's a service that uh, certainly people can take advantage of it, and it's not very
2: expensive. Um, no, so it to be honest, Hercules, I never heard of that. Really? I heard of the bar association, but I never knew they had that service. So I think yeah, it's an awesome
0: service. I've used it over the years from everything from uh, um, disputes with uh, apartments, uh, you know, to uh, uh, vocational and employment issues. You know, and it's a really good thing because you'll get a top-notch lawyer uh, who will answer all your questions uh, in half an hour. And uh, sometimes yeah. uh, I've even retained that lawyer because it was so good with the free information they gave yeah. me, what they were suggesting. And sometimes they'll even take an action on your behalf. They'll write a letter to a landlord or to an employer. Um, so that that's a really great thing, and it's it's affordable yeah. to just about anybody.
2: Sure, yeah. But the thing, now I'm thinking about that. Uh, AWA is still a small group. Right. But when we grow bigger, Will those lawyers, let's say, if we have, let's say, twenty-five people a day, call, call in and say they need a lawyer?
0: Yes, because it's a service offered by the the bar association to communities, uh, and also the the uh, lawyers, um, you know, basically are looking for uh, business, you know, and th- this was a service that they provide and. Uh, they like a lot of times i didn't even think i needed or wanted a lawyer and after talking to somebody it's like okay i see that i really need one uh, but they've always been helpful and they never pressured me to hire them so it's a hire. service i've used no, in the past I'm 20 not, years
2: yeah i'm not worrying about them pressuring in people to be hired i'm just wondering will they um will they ever say hey vern don't send
4: us any
2: more people. You're
0: overloading I, us. I don't know. I've, I've, not that I've sent many people yeah. their way, but I recommend them quite often. And uh, yeah. uh, so far nobody's reported that, uh, you know, there was a complaint about it. Um, you can even, okay. like, go for copyright issues. And, yeah, you know, it, it, it it doesn't really no. matter, um, you know, what the issue is. There's usually a specialty lawyer, and that uh, specialty lawyer is willing to talk to you for half an hour for uh, twenty-five, thirty bucks. What I used to do is I used to take a yellow pad and and write down every question I thought of, no matter how stupid it sounded, because there's no such thing as a stupid question. But I would wind up getting uh, my questions answered and have a very clear um, idea of what my options were. So maybe that's another resource, you know, we could play with and see uh, what experiences people have with it.
2: Okay. No, like the as I as I. It feels like we're getting off track, but it feels like we're getting on a productive track. AWA yes. is a great group, as I said, and we're they here are. for, uh, uh, yes, um, here for like work issues. And when uh, to wrap it all up, when you think work issues, it's not to say, oh, you're, my boss is yelling at me for stupid stuff. No, it's a whole bunch of little right. balloons that come into play. We, uh, I guess me and you just right now just talked about um, multi-level marketing, benefits, schooling, that all, wages, that all comes into one huge, huge, huge bubble. Right. And, and, it, and, and it takes time for groups like AWA to break it down and to actually, where my part comes in, organize of what piece goes where and how can we deal with it.
0: Correct. And this is just the beginning of the conversation, and, uh, and you guys and are doing awesome. Um, so yes. uh, our journey for today is coming to the close, but I would like to have you back, yes. Bern, so we can continue this uh, conversation. Uh, it has been a pleasure and an honor getting to know you better, uh, and I'm looking forward to the next time uh, we talk.
2: All right. Thank you, Hercules. Just let me know. I'll be on your show anytime.
0: Okay. And uh, before you guys go, is there any
2: Last minute uh,
0: wisdom you would care to offer to our listeners. I have links to the AWA and to your Facebook pages already on uh, Facebook.
2: Um, can't think of anything right now.
0: Thank you, Vern. Uh, Dan, how about you? Zoom
2: back into Mount Olympus, though.
6: <laughs> thank you.
2: <laughs>
6: yeah. Well. Yeah. Thanks. Well. Uh, yeah. I'm. Uh, okay, yeah. Ahead. Thank you, Vern, for uh, for uh, representing us so well. You know, I just want to say to everyone out there that you are not alone in dealing with uh, labor issues you know we have economic trends that have re- that are really hurting a lot of people to a degree that we never expected you know there is help out there and you know we are a great resource and we welcome everyone you know we oppose discrimination of any kind and you know, we're fighting for you Thank you very much, Dan. Um, I will talk to you on
0: Monday, and uh, I wish you both a wonderful um, rest of the week and weekend, and uh, I'm honored to know you and be working with you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to work with you, too.
0: And thanks for joining us, everybody, at home. Until next time, this is Hercules and the AWA wishing you well.